Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello again out there. Welcome to episode three of the Tomahawk Nation Hoops Dedicated Podcast. I'm Matt Minnick, joined by Michael Rogner. Uh, we, got a, we got an exciting cast, I think, actually, coming up tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, – we're going to talk about some of the newcomers at Florida State. That's freshmen and also transfers. We're going to talk about some of the hoops recruiting, right? Who, who's FSU bringing in next year on this, what is it, early signing day for, for football? We'll look ahead to the USF game that comes up on Saturday. But first, let's talk about the game that just happened last night, a uh, blowout victory for Florida State over UNF, the UNF Ospreys out of Jacksonville. And, and Florida State basically did what was expected. This was one of those games that was probably about as predictable of a game as we have on the schedule. Maybe this in the, the – first pit game you know when we posted that it was a 20 point uh the vegas line was was fsu by 20 every comment at tomahawk nation was like nope not betting that they're not touching it because north florida is gonna north florida is gonna probably be closer this is a game that could have been a six point game could have been a 46 point game but florida state tends to sort of fall into these games every year where it's like close to the holidays you got a team that shoots a bunch of threes. The defense isn't really prepared for it, and we just go out and they light us up, and it's you know probably closer than it should have been. Yeah, I was impressed. I was impressed with the half court offense execution. Uh, I, I will say that the the ball movement really now now the zone was not a long zone. <laughs> let's put it that way. But I was impressed at the how much the ball did not stick. But I agree that the they just don't 
I feel like you're right, especially around the holiday time. It just seems like FSU on defense doesn't do a great job of finding shooters, or, or maybe it's that they're overhelping too much on the on the one shooter and and not just letting you know their teammate do their job. Yeah, I want. I wonder if it's just the they're they're the sort of base defense requires a lot of help, and so what North Florida was doing is they were moving the ball over onto one wing. And then what that does is it, it's – if you've got a shooter in the other corner, you know, the, the defender is coming into where he's got one foot in the paint, exactly what he's supposed to do. And then they were just reversing the ball faster than the FSU defense was responding. If you're that guy who's covering the shooter in the corner and you're basically under the basket, as soon as they start reversing the ball, you got to sprint – to get to that shooter and they were just if you go back and watch that game you're gonna see probably six or seven wide open threes solely because the defense was a little bit lazy on rotating and then like you said with the overhelping North Florida has got a bunch of little guys they're driving past our big old guards and and we tend to overhelp and that that's going to open up a lot of threes but I think they took what was it 34 threes? 34 yeah yeah, which is not good. The same team took 25 last year, which is probably, you know, a mark of a, a little better defensive um, uh, uh, effort. Yeah, and, and I will say, you know, sometimes it's not – in sports, it's not always about what you did or didn't do. It's, it's you know, got to tip caps sometimes to the opponent. And, you know, so this is a team that's got several se- – what, three – Four senior – one of them didn't play. Escobar was sick. Too, too bad for that kid. I know coming home he wanted to play in front of friends and family. But still, three other seniors on the in the starting lineup there and, and kids who are well-versed in uh, Coach Driscoll's system. So, you know, at, at some level they did a nice job of, of executing what they run. They were clearly outmatched underneath. Uh, Dom and, and Bolsa just, you know, carved out space and got rebounds and – uh, you know, finished almost at will around the particularly Bolsa. Great game. We'll probably talk about him in a bit. Uh, but what what do you think about Coach Driscoll's system? I mean, what do you think about – is that where basketball is headed or is that still going to stay in what smaller conference low major teams do in order to to eliminate some of the natural built-in advantages from, from the big dogs? Yeah, he's on the sort of extreme end of the, you know, of, of the range right now. But it's, it's, it's not – just limited to uh, um, you know mid major teams. There's some there's some bigger teams out there that are just taking a lot more threes. Um, I think Syracuse this year is like close to fifty percent of their shots are threes. Virginia Tech is like forty, I don't know, forty seven percent. Texas, yeah. Notre Dame, Clemson, like you get a lot oh, the of guys. Rockets, right? I mean, it's not like yeah, we're not seeing right. some of this in the uh-huh. NBA too. Yeah, so it's 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 inter- it's an interesting battle. Every time there's a there's a, a a shift in philosophy, there's a corresponding shift in how it's defended. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But but threes, the, the you know, I think they mentioned it during the 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 game last night that the mid range game is gone, you know, and it's not coming back. And it's it's basically the the, you know, the shot that you're putting up when you just don't have anything else. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Syracuse in that in that discussion. Uh, so North Florida actually plays Syracuse next. Uh, I think it's on Saturday, and and that's going to be I, I don't know. I think that could be an intriguing game. Syracuse is not the juggernaut that they were four or five years ago. 
we, we know that North Florida can, can move the ball around the perimeter and hit threes. Um, so I don't know. I, do, do you think there's any chance at all of the upset there? Yeah, I don't know. More it's so like, than against Florida State, maybe? Yeah, they got a definitely a better chance against Syracuse. Syracuse just can't um, dominate them uh, the way that Florida State did on, you know, Florida State's offense was able to just tear apart their zone. Yeah, uh, and, and a lot of that, I, will, I don't know that we'll spend too much more time here, but I do want to, we mentioned this in the article, and I feel like a lot of that had to do with MJ Walker playing one of his best games as a Seminole. Um, he he admitted after the game that he, you know, it, last year the book on him was if, if you forced him to drive, he would drive into the teeth of a defense and often turn it over, be it charge or just out of control, right, and, and kind of lose the ball on the way up. And and it, I'm not sure what he's done over the offseason, but he's really tightened up that handle. And and you saw for the first time multiple incident, uh, multiple times in a game executing a you know pump fake in the three where there's a defender closing out hard passing up the long mid-range two that you're talking about is dead kind of the inefficient shot and driving you know one time finishing with authority at the rim and other times sucking the defender in and kicking out to someone else in the other corner for a three um and so i kudos to mj walker for really taking a step in his game i will see if that can be um you know, translate into some of the bigger competition. But did you see this coming from him this year? Not really. I kind of thought what he was going to do is double down on what he was good at, which is he's a really good defender and he's a pretty good shooter who could, who's got the stroke to become a better shooter. But I've been super impressed just like you with his ability to attack off the dribble and not, it's not straight line drives. You know, he's, he is, uh, you know, doing a lot of complex stuff and making good decisions and he's still clearly got a long way to go and I hope he's a four-year guy sort of for selfish reasons just to see how he's developed how he develops but his development from this year to from yeah last year to this year has been you know pretty impressive and and we also have to keep in mind that with his injury you know this is a this is a pretty rusty version of of Walker so yeah yeah, exactly yeah, and, you know, it's, it's not often that you see someone make this kind of a leap from their sophomore to junior year. Uh, I think it's probably more common at Florida State than it is at other places, so perhaps we've been spoiled. But a lot of times you see this leap from freshman to sophomore year. So I, I do agree with you selfishly that he – and maybe even not selfishly. I mean, we just saw Terrence Mann go from kind of a borderline NBA prospect his junior year to – not only being drafted, but he is playing minutes with the Los Angeles Clippers this year. So the the blueprint is out there for how to keep improving and, and getting on the NBA's radar. Uh, one one last thing I did want to share before we, we move on just was an interesting story. After the game, Coach Driscoll was talking about um, how they, you know, he wasn't surprised at the way Devin Vassell was playing because that's someone that they had actually spent a lot of time scouting and even had on campus and were recruiting him and thought they had a chance at landing him until, until Florida State got involved late uh, with, some, with some real nice scouting of their own. Could you imagine Devin Vassell in the UNF system and, and playing in the A-Sun? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it, it, 
it you know when he was a senior in high school it probably seemed crazy that he wouldn't be at a place like that i think presbyterian was really involved with them and then florida state offered coach uh cy offered and people were laughing at him like are you sure like you offered him like you sure you offered the right guy and and so yeah it's it's been I didn't see him in person, you know, when he was in high school. So I'm not sure what people were seeing, but it's really uh, great that, that the coaching staff was able to pick up on his potential. Yeah. I had a buddies from my, from my days in Atlanta that are still uh, coaching up there. And they, I mean, the high school coaching circle up there was effusive with their praise. Uh, I mean, I, there were, his particular, his specific coach just, you know, basically compared him to Jeremy Lamb all, all season long, but not just him. I mean, everyone in that Atlanta area said that this kid was a player. Um, kudos to CY for, for trusting his scouting instincts and, and kudos to him for letting their, his assistants do what they do best. Uh, let's, let's change gears though. And we had, we had a couple comments uh, or questions from the comment section uh, asking about, Trent Forrest and his his drop in efficiency this year yeah this is a it's a good question it's it's a usage thing basically so as you ask players to do more which Trent has clearly been asked to to, to, do, to do more this year than he has in the in the recent past um, as you're asked to do more your efficiency goes down it's just it's one of the things in basketball the only players it doesn't happen to are the superstars. So LeBron can take on a much bigger workload. You know, Garnett, all those guys can take on way bigger workloads without getting less efficient with the ball. Um, Trent, unfortunately, has not done that. And, I mean, he's, he's been great. So let's not over uh, overanalyze a few careless turnovers. He, he has been really good, but he's definitely been less efficient. And if you look at his, at his, at his shooting numbers – you know, I think they're pretty much identical to what they were last year, except for his three points a little bit higher. Uh, but what you're seeing is he's turning the ball over a lot more and he's not getting to the line uh, you know, nearly as much as he was doing last year. Yeah, that's probably the biggie for me is that he's – I mean, you're right, right? You know, I mean, at, it's anything in life. If you do it more and more, uh, if you take on a larger load, your opportunity for mistakes increase. But the his free throw rate is not just lower than last year, but I mean, it's the lowest of his career. Some of that could be a, a product that he has intentionally. I mean, he, we're talking about a guy that his, his first two years at Florida state, he took a total of 22 threes. He's already taken 23 this year. So, some of that free throw rate could be just the fact that he is more confident with his three point shot and, and is willing to let it fly, which he needs to do in this offense. Uh, so I'm glad to see that, but it is still remarkably lower only at around 39% uh, free throw rate, not free throw percentage shooting. That's actually his career high. He's hitting that right now at 78%, but a 39 free throw rate. Uh, is that, do you think that's just him? He's trying to be a playmaker to get others involved. Yeah, he's settling into that role. So you got so you got a lot of new faces. Um, he's the one super experienced guy. He's always got the ball in his hand. So he's really trying hard to set up his teammates. And I think as the season goes along, hopefully he's a super smart guy. I mean, he just he graduated already in three and a half years. Um, as the season goes along, he'll kind of 
figure out a little better idea of what the coaches want out of him. And I think at some point we're going to see him, you know, attacking the rim early in games a little more often than he's doing now. Yeah, I would I would agree. It's it's interesting to note that while his season long free throw rate is thirty nine percent, the against tier A teams it's up over forty five. Uh, so that would support like in in the games in which it's against tougher opponents and ones that he's probably going to play more minutes. Right, um, he seems to be still taking taking it to the rack more and, and trying to draw that contact. So I, I would expect that to show up in ACC games. Um, so, yeah, it, it, we're, we're happy to answer questions, uh, by the way. If, if you guys, uh, whether it's in the comments section uh, at Tomahawk Nation or if you want to uh, just, you know, shout out to Mike Rogner on Twitter, um, you know, if we, if we see questions come up, maybe uh, – same ones keep coming up frequently or just one that grabs our attention. We're, we're happy to uh, address them in the podcast. Shift gears now to, to the new. So we talked about MJ. We talked about Trent Two really the most experienced guys on the team. Let's think about, uh, or let's talk about the, the newest folks on the team. So we've got uh, Patrick Williams and Bolsa Koprovica, the two freshmen. And then and by newcomers, I'm also, of course, uh, we've got, Dom, big Dom, the, the grad transfer from Ole Miss, and then Malik Osborne, the regular transfer who sat out last year and came over from Rice. Uh, there's also a couple JUCOs in, in there, uh, Raekwon Evans and Nathaniel Jack. We haven't seen as much of them, but why don't we start with the freshmen? Uh, t- talk to me about, about Patrick and Bolsa. Yeah, Patrick's the one everybody wants to know about just because his, you know, his recruit is such a highly rated recruit. And I, I got a good question yesterday on Twitter during the game. Like, are we, should we be expecting Pat Williams to play more, you know, as the season progresses? And I, I think so. I've kind of been expecting him to get a few more minutes. He, uh, right now, I think he's played like, I don't know, 55% of the minutes or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's 53% of the minutes. But I'll, I'll, here's this, though. Two conference games, 66% of the possible minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So how much of the, how, how much is he not playing right now? Because Ham's trying to get everybody else minutes. Uh, if you look back at, at all the freshmen that Ham has had, he's had something like, you know, 40 freshmen come through the program. Patrick Williams, even, you know, right now when he's not playing that much is still in the top 10 for, for minutes. Um, and if you look at the guys who got significantly more than him, it's, it's X Malik Beasley and Dwayne Bacon, like those are the three freshmen who really played heavy minutes, and those three those teams were bad. Yeah, like, they played I, on I, a team that they didn't have the depth that this. Yeah, was. exactly, and and so um, we won't see Patrick Williams getting that many minutes, but we probably you know it's probably going to end up something like John Isaac, who played about sixty percent of the minutes. Um, he does a lot of things well. He's he is one of the least aggressive uh, superstars, you know, I've seen. He's, he, I think for a guy who d- has every skill in the book, like he can shoot, he can drive, he's, he's bigger than everybody, he can jump higher than everybody, he hasn't really put the package together, you know, in, in, into some sort of cohesive unit. And so – He's been really good, but he's letting everything come to him at the moment, which is totally fine. Uh, as the season goes on, I would I would like to see him be able to be a bit more aggressive, shoot a few more threes, 
um, you know, get in and mix it up on rebounding, a little, you know, a little more. But but he's been he's been really good so far. He certainly has the complete physical package. There is no other way to describe it, right? I mean, when he he just gets off the floor faster than other people. He he hangs in the air longer than other people. Um, he's he's proven to be a capable shooter with range. Uh, he's at 84% from the free throw line. He's got, you know, good enough lateral quickness. We're not talking Russell Westbrook lateral quickness, but it's good enough to be a plus defender. Uh, he, he's, you know, doing work both blocks and steals. And you're right. He doesn't have that alpha dog mentality yet. And I don't know if that, you know, a lot of folks talk about if you followed Andrew Wiggins' career at all, people are still waiting on him in the NBA to kind of take over games. And, and it's just not something that Andrew Wiggins, another guy, I mean, his physical gifts are just off the charts from another planet. And, and it's just not in his, in his DNA to take over games. I don't know that I would place Patrick Williams in that category yet. I, I, from what I've seen around the guys, there is a really healthy respect for Trent. And it's clearly, you know, Trent's team – uh, in much the same way that it was kind of uh, Tony Douglas's team back when Chris Singleton was a freshman. Um, and, and so I don't – I wouldn't be surprised if Patrick, at the urging of Trent, starts to kind of take – be a little bit more aggressive. Do, let me ask you this. Do you think there's – like what are your odds right now of Patrick's being in Garnet and Gold next year? Low, I, I you know I, th- I think that he's done enough, shown enough to to be a first round pick. He you know Cy had an interesting comment about him before the season where he said that he is a special special player, but he needs to mature. And I think what mm-hmm. he meant was he was he was he was talking about his game. You know his game needs to mature, and so he's he's got all those tools. And whether or not he puts it together at Florida State or as a as a, a a rookie in the NBA, it's you know it's coming, it's going to happen. He's going to be, he's going to be an NBA starter. So, he, I, I I'd be surprised if he's here next year. He he is going to be an NBA starter, no doubt about that. Um, I I will say this. I so I think Patrick Williams could basically show nothing different from what he's shown the entire you know this first part of the year and be drafted in the first round and. Look, any kid that has an opportunity to go and make first-round money should do that. I will say that to your point about the maturity, I, I, I also could see a scenario where if, if he did come back next year, and, and I would agree that that's a, a less than probably 30% chance at this point, but if he did come back next year, um, and it's no longer Trent's team, I, I could see him really maybe going from like pick number 20 to pick number you know 8 or 10. Um, but honestly, go get that first contract as soon as you can uh, and, and really just get to the second one. So speaking of the second one, let's talk about the, the, the other, the second Florida State freshman that was highly touted coming in, and that's uh, Bolsa Copravica. Has he, frankly to me, he's been better than expected. I, I thought he was uh, skilled coming in. I, I have been impressed with how quickly he has picked up the systems and been able to almost feel it seems like he's in his second year playing at Florida State 
what what have you seen from him maybe compared to compared to some other bigs that we've had recently at Florida State at a similar stage? Yeah, he's he's kind of better against college competition than he was against high school competition. You know, I mean, he's not playing nearly as many minutes, but but he's he's doing a lot of stuff well. And you know, you were asking about other Florida State bigs. You know, Florida State hasn't had a guy like this come through come through the system so it'll be really interesting to see if if he sticks around for you know maybe three years and watch that development happen because there's a there's just a skill level here that we haven't seen from a guy from one of you know seven footers this is maybe one of the most obvious cases to me that I've seen of of Stan Jones and and FSU coaching staff I, I feel like they are just pushing all the right buttons with this kid and and playing him just the right amount of minutes, asking him to do just the right amount of stuff offensively and defensively. I mean, he doesn't have enough minutes to qualify right now, but he's got a 125 offensive rating. He's, um, you know, grabbing double digit percentage of rebounds, both on the offensive end and the defensive end. Now, he's fouling a ton, but they're not asking him to play a ton of minutes. Um, and he's also drawing a lot of fouls. And, and you know, finishing around the bucket, he's been fantastic. He's 81% on the season. So it uh, doesn't get much better than that. I, I'm really interested to see what happens in conference play, though. The first two conference games, he's only played 16% of the minutes. Part of that is because, quite honestly, Clemson wasn't a great matchup for him in the sense that they, they don't really have a big that they use like that um, and we've seen Hamilton in the past just switch to a smaller lineup but I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens as we get into deeper into conference play um, do you do you think that so same question as Patrick Williams do you think he'll be here for a second year I do I think he'll be here for at least two and you know think back to um, Ike Obiagu somebody who's, who's who's obviously not here yeah you know but that 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 year he was non-existent in the early going and then by the time March rolled around it's just like holy hell where did this guy come from you know and and that's why I think everybody's hopes were so high for him and everybody was so disappointed when he left and now he's barely playing for Seton Hall but whatever yeah he's Um, added a lot of weight too he doesn't even look like the same guy yeah yeah he doesn't look he doesn't look he lost some uh, explosiveness uh uh-huh yeah but Balsa I mean he's missed six shots this year yeah he missed two yesterday and that was the first game this year he's missed more than one shot I mean he's just he's not trying to do too much he's he is basically carving out a little bit of space and then waiting for something good to happen uh the one knock on him is I think he you know he plays too high right now and he'll learn you know to to develop his base a little better and and play lower and play more through his legs he's you know he's more uh, you know he's sort of top heavy right now but uh, yeah he's been good yeah, in his passing too. I've been very impressed with some of the big to big passing that he's initiated. Um, all right, let's move on to the to the the transfers, uh, the both graduate and otherwise. Um, is this what so between Malik and Dom? What, what, who's standing out in terms in a good way and a bad way? Um, you know, is this what you expected from these guys? Um, it's about what I expected for Dom. He's you know he's he, he was averaging like five points a game or, or whatever at, at at his at his last stop. He's he's an older guy. He's kind of is what he is. I mean, he's 
offensively, he's not terribly skilled. Defensively, he tries really hard, which is half the battle. Um, he, what he does do really well is use his weight. Like he, mm-hmm. he really pushes guys around in the in the lane and creates a lot of space for FSU to drive. Malik Osborne, on the other hand, I he's I'm, I I can't quite figure that guy out. I mean, he's he's been really efficient. Like he's 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 knocking down threes. He's scoring. He is either injured or he's lost some explosiveness since he was playing at Rice. Uh, he, you know, he's just – he's I don't – the explosiveness is just not there. It's like when Trent was playing on a bum toe or something. Uh, but he is uh, – you know, he's blocking shots. He's, he's like, doing everything. He's just not playing a ton of minutes. He's not – he's, he, he's, he's not going to be the option that you're looking for on offense. He's just going to be one of those guys that – is picking up points throughout the game just sort of as they come to him. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of a of a way better shooting version of Ryan Reed um, in that he's not – like nothing is drawn up for him, right? <laughs> there's, there's not a moment in which we are drawing up plays for Malik, but um, he's able to still contribute in a lot of ways – it's interesting that you – I actually didn't see him play at Rice, but that's interesting to hear you say about uh, his explosiveness because, man, I, I'm just not used to seeing FSU's wings. I know he's sort of like a hybrid wing big, but our guys just don't get blocked at the rim as much as he does, right? I mean, Florida State is just typically a team full of athletes, and, and he seems to almost play below the rim at times. Um, but that's interesting to hear you say that he seems less explosive than he was at Rice. Uh, that uh, one note on Dom that I was curious about everything I, you said, I agreed with in terms of he sort of, he's a grad transfer kind of is what he is, but there's one little statistical oddity that I was looking at here. This is far and away his best offensive rebounding percentage in his college career. His previous best season was at Drake uh, his freshman year when it was at nine, he grabbed, he grabbed 9% of the offensive rebounds that were available. He was on the court. That's what we talk about when we say offensive rebounding percentage. So when a player is on the court, if a shot goes up while, you know, and, and he's there and it's missed, that is a rebound that could be grabbed by him. Right. And so his previous high was 9%. Uh, when he was at Ole Miss, he didn't top he was 7.8 and 8.7. So far, he's at 16.9% of offensive rebounding. Is that, is that because of the system? We, like, we just emphasize that? Or, or I, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for that beyond, beyond that. It could be the system. I mean, what, he's, he's benefiting a lot from guys who can drive, and they're putting up, you know, five-footers, six-footers, and those are the shots that are most often off the – you know, re, offensive rebounds – People think about them coming from threes, but they most often come from short twos. Uh, and one of the things that our team does is just put up the shot and then go get it. And he is kind of in the middle of that battle. Well, well, let's take a look at that again. You know, once we're you know halfway through conference play or something, and, and see if that number is still up there. And I'll, and and 
by then I promised to have a, a, you know, a better answer. Yeah, but and, I, and just to be fair, I threw that one at you here. I, it's not, that is not something we talked about before the cast. It was a curveball thrown to, to Rogner here. But I, I even tried to look at the conference numbers, and that one, I, I don't know, he must have only played like five minutes or something because that's 46%, which is just <laughs> like, obviously unsustainable. Um, well, but, Balsa came, Balsa, you know, not, I know we're not talking about Balsa anymore, but he came in last night and there was like three offensive boards immediately. Yeah, I think there was three missed shots and he got all uh, three rebounds yeah. uh, right away. Yeah, so let, let's call it, let's chalk it up a small sample size for right now, but watch that number, uh, watch that number going forward. All right, we are going to, um, we're going to head to break. There was a longer, a good discussion, but longer than anticipated. We're going to head to break. Go let your, uh, let your dog go out and mark its territory or something. Uh, and when we come back, we will get into uh, who are going to be FSU's newcomers next year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, we are back. So we just talked about uh, the newcomers on this year's team. Let's look at uh, who's, who's FSU got coming uh, in the pipeline here. And, and so there are two signed commitments. Uh, they, they didn't sign today, though it was the early signing day for football. Uh, the basketballers' early signing day was a month or so ago. But we've got uh, Scotty Barnes, who's a consensus top 10 recruit. And we've got uh, Sardar Cal- Calhoun. No, is that right? Uh, Sardar yeah. Calhoun, yeah, out of uh, – Mississippi, Mississippi State University, West Plains. It's a, a junior college out in, in uh, excuse me, Missouri. I am all over the place here. A junior college out in Missouri. Uh, so who knows where Hamilton found him? Why don't we start with, uh, with Scotty Barnes? All right. So Scotty is going to be a, a, an experiment. It's, he's probably outside of John Isaac, the most talented guy that we've got come that we've had come through the system. He is just like John Isaac. Like he's going to be a great, great, great defensive player. He's a big guy. He's like six, seven, you know, but he, what he wants to run, he thinks that his future. And I agree is as a lead guard in the NBA and he's coming to Florida state to, to play that role. You know, Trent Forrest is graduating and this is a guy that's going to have the ball in his hand a lot next year. We really need to be surrounding him with shooters. So hopefully guys like Devin Vassell and MJ Walker are still here, you know, because he's, he's one of these guys who's just going to be able to overpower a lot, a lot of players, uh, you know, at the college level. So I'm super excited to see him play every time he plays in high school, you can just get on Twitter and people are, are raving about, you know, all the crazy stuff that he's doing. He's just, you know, he's, he's super athletic and he kind of, well, not, you know, not, not like one of the higher, I shouldn't say like, Anyway, he's not crazy athletic, but he's, he's not Zion athletic. athleticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, no, no. he's yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, he can do it all, and he's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, he's he's so just if folks haven't seen or heard much about him, I and mean, he's six eight. Uh, I, I don't know, listed at two ten. Maybe that maybe he's 
200, 205, but he, he's, he's not skinny by any stretch. Um, and so he's, he's coming in, he's part of this continual movement towards positionless basketball. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. So and is, is he, is it safe to say that he, the one thing that is keeping him from being, you know, he, he would be number one recruit in the country. If I finish that sentence. A uh, better outside shot, yeah. And if he was just more natural as a point guard, and I I don't want to say natural because he's got great vision. He's 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 constantly getting lauded for making these crazy passes, but he does like a lot a lot of young players kind of telegraph things a bit and and try to make too many great passes. So once so once he once he dials that back a little bit, I think I think he's gonna he's got the potential to be pretty effective as a lead guard. Yeah, I, I agree. I think my biggest concern, everything, he is, he is a top 10 player for a reason. I, I do think that, to your point, if we were in a world in which, uh, in which Devin Vassell went pro, which is not unthinkable by any stretch, um, and maybe in a world where, um, I don't know, MJ maybe doesn't take a, a leap from junior to senior like we would hope, um, he his perimeter shooting could it, it could put put us in a box if 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 you've got him and let's say Raekwon Gray on the court and Balsa and MJ and you know Raekwon Evans like there's not really a shoot I mean MJ is the best shooter and he's good um, so the shooting is a little bit of a concern but let's change gears then to Sardar maybe he's the the shooting solution. Yeah, that guy, he's he's made 46% of his threes this year in junior college. And it's not like he's just taken a few shots here and there. I mean, he, he's made 56 threes already this year, which is like more, it's like twice as many more attempts than almost any you know player has at FSU. So he's shooting just a ton. And he's made 46%. And it's not a one-time thing because last year, I think he was at 43%. He does play uh, for uh, that team, uh, Missouri uh, West Plains, Missouri State West Plains. They, uh, I, I, I don't think that the few, the next coach Hamilton is their coach because they're they're losing like a hundred and one to ninety four, and you know, <laughs> and sc- scoring one hundred and twenty. Okay, you know, they just it's just up and down, no defense. So. So, so we got to take the the volume, you know, with a little grain of salt. But he's been a really great shooter for two years, and the he, you know, he was no, he was uh, noted as the third best um, uh, uh, JUCO recruit by the one JUCO guy that I trust. So, you know, he he, it's it's, it's a different level of of transfer that than we're expecting than we are you know used to getting here at Florida State. Yeah, you, you're right to call out the ju- like grain of salt with the juke. Like, it's just hard to get juco stats sometimes, um, a lot of times. And and look, they're called highlight reels for a reason. So I, I'll I'll admit that I have not gone in person to see Missouri State uh, Wesleyan play. But um, I I gotta be honest, this, I mean, call me crazy, but I I I'm wondering if he has a bigger, you know, I don't know. Let me. I don't know if he's going to have a bigger impact or not next year because because of how good Scotty Barnes is on defense. I, that can't be understated. But I actually, if you if you could tell me I could pick one of these guys right now to be on this year's team, I think I would pick Calhoun. 
And the, the elevation that this kid gets on his shot is, is just perfect. I mean, he is higher on his perimeter shooting than some guys are when they're going up for a layup. I mean, and, and his range is, is PJ range. Although I, I think he's a better shooter than PJ and he's, he's six, six and clearly has some athleticism. I mean, you could, there's depth that he can, he can finish at the rim. I, I think he can score at all three levels. Uh, of course, there is some concern on will this will this guy be able to come in and execute Leonard Hamilton's defensive principles early on. But to your point at the end, I don't know that we've had a JUCO kid like this maybe since Tim Pickett. Yeah, exactly. And and the all the concerns you listed are totally valid. But shooting transfers, you know, it doesn't matter what level. If you can shoot, you can shoot. He's shooting from the same distance as, as everybody in our team is. So the amount of o- open looks that Florida State can get due to the style that they play, I would, I would expect him to have a pretty big impact next year, assuming, yeah. you know, he's healthy and, and can will expend the effort to learn the defense. Yeah, to, I mean, like you said, shooting transfers, and, and he, can, he can shoot off the curl. He can, you know, shoot off the dribble. I mean, he like to your point about the system, you go watch it. He's pulling up in transition off the dribble from 25 feet and draining it. So, you know, 42% last year, 43%, 42.9% from three last year on seven attempts a game, 45 this year on eight attempts a game. The kid can make it rain from outside. Um, okay, so let's let's get into here the, the final topic. Uh, we got a game coming up on Saturday against South Florida. It's a neutral site. It is down uh, in Sunrise at the Orange Bowl Classic. Um, this is one of those things that Florida State plays in yearly. We've had decent success there. I think what we blew out St. Louis there last year, uh, a couple, I think two years ago, we lost Oklahoma State. Um, tell me about South Florida. A lot of folks will remember Brian Gregory from his uh, Georgia Tech days, and he's now the coach at South Florida. I think this might be his third year there. Uh, if you remember Georgia Tech being like this crawling team, that played pretty good defense, then you know what to expect from South Florida. Uh, they do attend, they do try to maybe get out and transition a little more than he did at South Florida. Uh, but the thing that I've been impressed with is they play a real pressure defense in the half court, and it's been pretty effective in terms of turning other teams over. They, they, they play in the gaps, you know, the same way that Florida State does, sort of over-pressuring everything one pass away. And so this could this could definitely be a game where both teams are like out in the passing lanes and looking for steals, and there's going to be lots of breakaway dunks and you know all that fun stuff. Uh, the you know the the downside is that it's right before Christmas, and we just got to hope our guys are focused. Is so uh, it sounds like it's a losable game. Oh, totally. I'm more worried about this game than actually playing Georgia Tech. Yeah. Now, and so they I'm looking here. They've got a win over over Wofford, who who beat UNC uh, and they've got a win over a pretty good Furman team. Uh, you know, and Furman is, is a school that's, you know, used to being to having basketball success uh, and, and run their system. So they're, they definitely, um, you know, they're, they're definitely capable. I, I'm interested in their free throw shooting. We don't typically talk a lot about free throw percent on, on this. Uh, we, we like to focus on free throw rate, but I mean, this is a team shooting 59% as a team. 
from the free throw line. Uh, you know, we're there. That's 10 games in now. So we're, <laughs> that's, that's a decent sample size. Um, so I, I feel like we're getting set up here for like a 15 for 20 game, but I, I don't know. Is that, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, 59% is bad. I, I, I'm totally cold right now, and it's getting kind of dark, but I think if you gave me a ball and I walked down to the the school at the end of my street that I would make better than 59%. I mean, they got a starting guard shooting 42% on the season on, on 43 attempts. He's 18 of 43 from the free throw line. Is that Rideau? Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good player, which is weird. He's, he's a little – he's like a – you know, the difference between players that end up at South Florida and players that end up in the ACC is usually size. And so this guy is like 6'1". He's, he's, built, like a, he's built like a running back. Um, he's always got the ball in his hand. He's, he's definitely a dangerous player. He, he really focuses on playing downhill. Uh, he hasn't gotten to the line maybe as much as you would expect, but he, he does pick, draw a lot of fouls. He's a terror on defense, and he's got this buddy – um, David Collins, who is, uh, he's probably like six three, six four, and if he were six six, he would, you know, he'd be, he'd definitely be playing in the ACC. And he's he's the exact same way. He's just, he's playing downhill. He's looking to get to the line. And those two guys are, if we if we thought that we had a hard time containing the dribble off North Florida, we're definitely going to have a hard time containing the dribble off off of these two guys. They don't have the shooters that that North Florida has. Um, but they're going to slow the game down and, you know, try to win with their defense. And they've got those two guys to, you know, probably get them enough on offense to, to make this game a little worrisome. All right. So I'm going to put you on the, on the pressure here. Give me a, give me a South Florida prediction. Uh, let's see. I will take Florida state by, let's see, 75, 62. What's that? 13 points. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think that, that, it's going to be uh, the exact same game that we just watched. Like Florida State is going to build up the lead. South Florida is just going to not ever let Florida State really step on the pedal, you know, and they'll, they'll keep it close, but not close enough that, you know, people are going to be freaking out. I, I, th- I think it's going to be excitingly ugly. Uh, if that, make, I, t- I really like what you said. There's going to be a lot of dunks. I think both teams are going to create turnovers and get dunks. And I, I also could see just that, I mean, it's December 21st. It's a neutral site. Folks aren't used to sight lines. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking lower scoring than you. And, and I'll say Florida State wins, but maybe by six or seven, something like, uh, let's call it 65 to 59 or something like that. All right. Uh, this was, this was probably our longest one yet. Uh, we're going to, we're try usually try to keep it a little shorter than this, but we, uh, we just had a lot to cover and particularly after the long layoff figured we, you know, who doesn't want to talk more basketball. We will be, uh, we appreciate you listening and we will be back probably, uh, sometime after the USF game, uh, to vote, to rehash that and look forward to, to really getting into the conference season. Take care.